Hello everyone and welcome to episode 32 of Marking the Roll, where we talk about everything educational. This podcast is for teachers, it's for lecturers, it's for parents and students if you're interested as well. And we cover the uh, difficult issues, the stuff that a lot of others simply won't cover. Our last episode, episode 31, we looked at how teachers can keep their job in the days of gender ideology. How not to tread on the toes of those who are very delicate and um, uh, uh, don't like to be misgendered or they like to have their pronouns used correctly. Um, But one of the big pieces of feedback that we had was that schools didn't know that it was quite legal and within the Discrimination Act to differentiate students once they got over 12. So if a trans student is insisting they play in the girls' netball team and they're 13 years old, then they can be lawfully um, stopped from playing because of physical advantages or disadvantages. So um, no matter what you're told in so-called guidelines, it is quite legal and within the Discrimination Act to differentiate once the child gets to 12. And if any trans student insists on playing in girls' sports uh, after 12, no, they can't. Um, Which brings me to what we'll be doing in the next episode, not this one, episode 33. We'll be looking at resisting gender education in Australia. And this is for parents. Now, we've looked at it for teachers in the last episode 31 but this is really for parents so I urge you if you're a teacher who is a parent or if you're a parent who's listening get your friends to to have a listen in because there's some great things happening in Australia and New Zealand and around the world where groups of parents are banding together in order to resist this ridiculous gender ideology that's happening in schools when uh, students are taught that they may have been born in the wrong body, that they um, they were born with girls' body parts or boys' body parts, not that they were born male or female. Uh, this ridiculous ideology has gone far too far, uh, and education departments all over Australia seemingly have embraced it, but they probably simply didn't know much about it. Anyway, that's in episode 33 in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but today... We look at universities, quality and teacher training. They're all very much involved. Our universities have come in for a lot of flack in the last 12 months, especially from uh, Jason Clare and the federal government, the Minister for Education. Um, And we'll be looking at a few things that he has said um, about education in our university system. We'll be looking at the academics and who are teaching. We'll be looking at the content of certain subjects and the assessment criteria. Now, and a bit later on, we'll be looking at the ideology that informs our universities. We know that it's pretty woke at the moment, but the ideology also decides who is teaching courses. And this is pretty important because a lot of them have had no experience in the Um, the work area that they're lecturing in. Most universities now in the um, employment opportunities section of their um, their marketing websites uh, say to students, what sort of job can you get? You can get a job as an accountant, you can get a job as a manager, 
or an academic. So in other words, the student just goes straight from the university, the undergraduate, the postgraduate, the PhD, straight back into university, and they've never practised. So this is the sort of thing that students are up against when they go to university. Now, I have over 20 years' experience in the university sector as a lecturer, and I've fairly recently left it because I could not stand the approach to assessment um, from from academia. Uh, Students are no longer rated a lot of the time. It's simply a pass-fail basis, so they don't get to show their merit. So students that work really, really hard don't get a high distinction or a distinctionist pass-fail a lot of the time. Um, Students are excused from doing the best work that they can in assignments if they're feeling unwell if they have a a good reason uh, that they didn't achieve in this particular subject. It was just demeaning, I think, not just for the lecturers, but for the students who tried really, really hard and did their best. I thought I'd start off with a comment from Dr. Bella Abrera. She's the author of a research paper called De-Educating Australia, and this is courtesy of Sky News. There used to be places where you'd go to learn things, to pass on knowledge, to learn about life and culture and society. Now all there is is this one totally claustrophobic orthodoxy that everyone has to buy into. Um, There is no freedom of speech, there's no debate, there's nothing. This is pure discrimination. And indeed, I experienced discrimination when I was a lecturer, not against me, but against students who were really doing well and doing their job when I was urged to pass a student who had not submitted an assignment that wasn't plagiarised, never, and had only attended one class out of 12, uh, and urged to pass that student uh, I was then called into the supervisor's office and said that it was policy that I passed the student uh, and um, that they had a a good excuse as to why they couldn't. I asked what was their excuse for plagiarising and simply ripping off their entire assignment, entire, not just a couple of words, entire assignment from the web. um, And they didn't answer that question, but they just kept saying, this is policy, this is policy. But what they didn't realise that I'd resigned the day before. So I said, I'm sorry, I'm I'm no longer an employee here now. Um, So they had to work it out. And I'm not sure, but I have a feeling that student is out there in the workforce uh, after getting their degree and they certainly didn't deserve it. Now, Jason Clare, the Federal Minister for Education, has put forward five points in this interim study um, in order to revolutionise universities. There's going to be more. Of course, this is just the interim. Uh, I like Jason Clare. I think he's a straight shooter. I actually think he should be a better Prime Minister or would be a better Prime Minister than than Albo. Um, Him and I have got a few things in common. We're the first in the family to go to university, the first in the family to uh, get even to year 10, and we're both from working-class families in the western suburbs. Um, But I think he's a little bit deluded in a couple of the points. Let's hear what he had to say. The first is to create more regional university hubs and establish a similar model for the outer suburbs of our cities. The evidence is that where these hubs are, university participation goes up. So does retention. There are currently 34 of these around the country. We'll double them. 
20 more for the regions and 14 in the outer suburbs where the percentage of residents with a uni qualification is low. Now that's the first of the interim recommendations and it sounds a pretty good move. Um, a lot of the regional universities aren't as impacted by the uh, latte-sipping woke culture that the uh, inner-city universities are impacted by. They have a broader view. And from students that I've spoken to, they love going to the regional universities and regional hubs. So that's probably a good thing. The second is to abolish the 50% pass rule. The former government introduced a rule that if you had attempted at least eight study units and failed more than half, that you were not eligible for further Commonwealth support for that course. At Western Sydney University this year, it has already led to 1,350 students being forced to quit, most of them from poorer backgrounds. More than 13,000 students at 27 universities have already been hit by this. Instead of forcing them to quit, we should be helping them to pass. Oh, Jason, here we go. We're really focused on inclusion, not on merit again. Uh, 13,000 students have uh, been affected, he says, um, and they couldn't go on to their university course because they didn't get to the 50% mark. Well, I'm sorry, if students get 80% or 85, uh, they uh, get a distinction or a high distinction and they can be employed on their merit. If they get 30 or 40%, they don't understand the content and they're probably not suited to do the course. Um, instead of finding ways to help these students get through, we should be finding jobs that they are more suited for. Not every student is suited for university. Not every student really wants to go to university. And this idea that every student has to go to year 12 and every student has to go to university is absolute rubbish. Teachers out there know that some students simply aren't going to be suitable for it. And with the reputation of Australia's universities at the moment, who would want to go? The third is to ensure all Indigenous students are eligible for a funded place at university if they are qualified for admission to the course. At the moment, this only applies to Indigenous students who live in regional Australia. It applies if you live in Townsville, but not in Logan. If you live in Armidale, but not in Mount Druitt. If you live in Port Hedland, but not in Perth. Now it'll apply to all. And doing this, could double the number of Indigenous students at university in a decade. Now, that sort of policy would be fine if uh, students from university were employed on merit, but they're not. Uh, students from university are employed under um, diversity recruitment practices, where it's not necessarily uh, what you've done and how good you are, but it's who you are. Um, I worry that if the 50% pass rate is dumped, and we've got a massive number of Indigenous students who are continuing on university when getting less than 50% um, gradings in their subjects, and they'll be employed on diversity recruitment practices, what is going to happen to excellence in the workforce in Australian society? The fourth is to extend the Higher Education Contribution Guarantee for another two years to provide funding certainty to universities as the accord process rolls out. 
As part of this, universities will be required to invest any remaining funding from their grant each year on things like enabling courses and extra academic and learning support for students from poor backgrounds, from the regions and other underrepresented groups. Now, what do you mean, Jason, other underrepresented groups? Uh, that needs a little bit of explaining. Um, HEX is hated by students. They come out uh, after their degree. and they, I, I know the guy next door to me actually still owes $32,000 on his um, teaching degree. And this is at a time when universities are making a lot of money. Uh, when vice-chancellors are being paid a lot. I guess with the amount of socialism in universities and socialist clubs, maybe they should exercise some socialist practices and limit lecturing uh, fees or lecturing salaries to a certain amount. Uh, vice-chancellors, maybe $100,000. Lecturers, $80,000. Maybe everyone should be on the same. Or perhaps free university education for everyone. Now, there's a thought. I'm unsure whether HEX should be continued. And finally, working with the states and territories to improve university governance. This includes university governing bodies having more people with expertise in the business of universities and a focus on student and staff safety and making sure universities are good employers. Yes, university governance needs overhauling, but just to make sure the universities are uh, good employers and offer safe environments, you've got to make sure that the lecturers can actually teach, that the students are learning something, that what they're learning is going to be suitable and applicable to the workplace. There's a lot more than just safety at universities. Now, there's one researcher, Glenn Fahey, from the Centre for Independent Studies, um, has a different view to uh, Claire about the sub-50% rule uh, and thinks there should be certainly a more um, stringent evaluation, especially of teachers. His most recent publication is called Failing to Teach the Teacher, an Analysis of Mathematics, Initial Teacher Education. And I'll be talking to him in uh, Season 7, uh, but these are his words, and I've put them into an AI voice, um, of what he says about more stringent assessment at the end of every course, especially teacher education. It's one thing to change teaching degree course content, but to guarantee that translates to improved practice, teachers should be examined on the content of their degrees the science of learning and how children's brains learn. Ultimately, the goal of teacher training is that graduates are ready for the classroom. But we don't assess this in a consistent and reliable way. And shouldn't all university courses have more stringent evaluation at the end? Not just teacher education. The problem is that when you don't have levels of achievement, therefore it's harder to employ on merit, isn't it? it leaves you to fall back on diversity recruitment practice and what a person is, uh, not what they can do. So if you don't have a record of what you can do, um, then diversity will trump. That is one of the worries behind uh, only uh, evaluating students on a pass-fail basis. So what exactly are students at university being taught? Not just in teaching, but in many of the degrees. Well, 
Here's a subject, subject 54002 from the University of Technology, Sydney. The subject's called Communicating Difference. Uh, Teachers can do it in their second or third year. Uh, Journalists can do it, and there's probably uh, more subject areas or, or course areas that can do it. Have a listen to this. This subject brings together a range of disciplines within communications to examine cultural difference, social identity, frameworks for promoting diversity, and contemporary community formation. In particular, case studies from contemporary Australian society are used to explore themes of racialization, multiculturalism, gender, sexuality, and class-based inequalities with a particular focus on Indigenous Australian and settler colonial identities. Now, some of that may seem okay, but there's other aspects that just have that familiar smell of activism. Case studies are drawn from a variety of cultural sites that engage with diversity and difference, from popular culture, such as film and television, to institutional diversity policies and social activism. Oh, there it is. It had to be there somewhere. So students taking this subject, and that comes into the teaching degree, journalism degree, no doubt other degrees, are being uh, indoctrinated uh, on how to be an activist in Western society. Very interesting. This includes an opportunity to examine Sydney-based initiatives that seek to address marginalisation, promote activism, encourage community participation, or extract commercial value from diversity. The subject also familiarises students with relevant theories and concepts, critical media studies, critical race and feminist theory, cultural geography, critical diversity studies and organisational studies. And there we go, activism again and critical race theory and no doubt gender theory. Uh, The Department of Education states clearly that critical race theory is not being taught in schools, but gee... Uh, teachers going on to teach in schools, doing teacher training, are being taught about this. Um, that is a concern. And here's another subject outline from Macquarie University, uh, ETST 3000 from Macquarie Uni. It requires students to analyse how they will teach about cultures in K6 classrooms, including Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander histories and cultures, and Australia's engagement with Asia, without perpetuating the current stereotypes and generalisations. Now that's a uh, teacher training subject, and perhaps... Uh, He actually means not perpetuating current facts, because if you look at the New South Wales draft history document, and I'll look at the K6 document first, uh, and I did a keyword analysis of that document, Uh, Aboriginal or Indigenous is mentioned 159 times, English uh, twice, Captain Philip three times, Captain Cook one time, and gender, one time. I don't quite know what that has to do with history, but gender, one time. Now, if I look at the year 7 to 10 draft syllabus for history for uh, New South Wales, um, Aboriginal or Indigenous is 140 times, uh, gender, four times, English, one time, Irish, one time, Captain Philip, zero, Cook, zero. Uh, So you can see what sort of angle history is taking in Australian schools.
Now, I think by far the saddest is something that I was sent um, from a parent, um, and that parent's daughter was doing early childhood education uh, at a Melbourne university, doing Foucault in early childhood studies, applying post-structural ideas by Glenda McNaughton. And then the introduction, the introduction was, was entitled Beyond Quality Towards Activism. So this is an early childhood book, and it explains the work of Michael Foucault, a French philosopher who was big in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, unfortunately, he was discredited because he believed that children could have a sexual life and they could consent to having um, sex with adults. Uh, he and a couple of other philosophers of the time argued that um, sexual activity between adults and children under 15 should be decriminalised. Now, there was also uh, s some talk of him uh, being involved in the 1960s with some uh, abuse of children in Tunisia, but that was not proved before his death, where he died of AIDS in 1984, on the 26th of June. Now, Foucault is a polarising philosopher, and his views on childhood sexuality certainly made him so. And if he wants to be discussed in philosophy courses, great. But the fact that it's a textbook in early childhood education in one university in Melbourne, probably in many, many throughout the country, is a real problem. Marking the Roll is supported entirely by subscribers and donors who get two non-public podcasts per year and the chance to ask questions of our guests. The cost is $35 per year, yet if two people join via Substack there's a 30% discount. Just select the group subscription option when you go to the Marking the Roll Substack page for you both to subscribe for $22. Thanks for listening and just search for Marking the Roll on Substack. Now, if this sort of philosophical theory is being taught in teacher education courses, and no doubt in other courses in universities around the country, what do more mature-age students who go back and do a master's think about it? I asked Christy, a teacher from the Illawarra region, if she found her course learning valuable or if she learnt most of what she knew on the job. I've definitely learnt probably all of it on the job. Um, even in my master's, which I did thinking I'm off having children, I'll do it while I've got the time. Um, and I did want to go into special education. Um, and in the second year of my master's, I was fortunate enough to pick up a couple of days at um, the Aspect School in the Illawarra. And it just really highlighted how little what I was actually doing in the university degree prepared me for that role. If, if, if it didn't prepare you for the role, what was in the course, actually? It was very theoretical-based, which um, I was very surprised with, especially one of the subjects I was really looking forward to. It was behaviour management. Um, the person running it actually worked at one of the juvenile detention um, centres up in the southwest Sydney region so I thought this is going to be brilliant there'll be lots of um, 
practical, I think, knowledge imparted on how you can deal with these kids. Um, and it was just, you know, the first assignment was look at this theorist. The second assignment was further exploring that theorist and their points of view. Um, and that's that's sort of how the assignments were. And I just thought, where I'm not going to be standing in a classroom with a child who is going through something and thinking about a theorist's views on what's happening. I, I want practical, you know, sort of, um, I guess, knowledge on how I can de-escalate the situation and, you know, help that child get to where they need to be or what are the strategies I can use to, you know, move other kids out or support the other children. There were so many things that were missed in that opportunity that when I was actually on the job, I thought this is far more practical and real than what I'm yeah. learning and, and paying a lot of money for. You know, they're not, they're not a cheap degree to do. Um, and I thought that it's just really disappointing that it just seems that university is so far removed from what teachers are experiencing in a day-to-day classroom. Okay, so if the courses aren't equipping teachers, they're probably not equipping engineers, they're not equipping uh, many students for the careers that they want. I asked Jeff Barnes, a man who's been a lecturer in a Sydney university for a long period of time, his voice has been changed uh, to protect him, and uh, Jeff Barnes is not his real name. And I first asked him what the major problem was in universities. I think the really serious one is that um, education's become a commodity. And the the education part of what goes on seems to be secondary to the business. And it's very much about money. The, if you like, the official universities as opposed to the private ones, they, they rely on overseas fee-paying students so much that without that income, they would not be able to function in the way they do today. And what about student ability? Are the students suited to the university courses that they're choosing? Uh, I see that um, in my own teaching. I get frustrated by the poor quality of the students who are enrolled. And it really doesn't matter what level you're talking about. You're talking about undergraduates, you get people who are not really qualified to enrol in the university, in in my view. Uh, And then as you go further up the line, right through to the MBA level, there are MBAs that are provided through the private universities and through the public universities that rely so much on these overseas fee-paying students that they will accept people who often are not proficient enough in English. Uh, They have done allegedly they've done a degree which qualifies them to do it but you wonder what and how they've done because they have no ability to do anything academic at all so yeah the standards have really gone down okay so if if the students aren't capable is the content being reduced or or tailored to suit them this is an insidious sort of growth area so i have been teaching a particular subject at um, postgraduate MBA level. And I've found that the course material I'm teaching at um, at that MBA level is the same as the material I was teaching at undergraduate level, the, 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 you know, the actual standard, um, and in some cases less in terms of 
theory and, and applying theory, the standard has dropped. So are you seeing that there's too many going into higher education where that perhaps they'd be better off going into a TAFE course or doing an apprenticeship, something like that, because they're just not suited? But if you enrol in higher education at any level, higher education, then you've done so theoretically with the knowledge that you are going to be tested as a human being to learn and understand, analyse and then project new ideas through that study. If you're incapable of doing that, you're not suitable for a university environment. Now, I finally asked Jeff Barnes about the state of lecturing. Um, and this is not going to sit well with some of the lecturers that are listening. Um, but it wasn't a very um, positive comment towards them. You've got someone who is automatically able to be employed as a lecturer slash facilitator in a uh, in an undergraduate course because they've got a PhD or even in fact in a postgraduate course, they don't necessarily have the skills to impart any knowledge at all. And quite a few of them, um, they couldn't teach, they couldn't teach a, a, a dog to sit up basically. They're researchers? They're researchers, yeah. And that's the problem. So if the, the general question there, has the quality of academic staff gone down Yes, it has in terms of actually being able to impart knowledge and encourage learning among students. Okay, so it seems like the wonderful days of higher education where you had lecturers and even tutors who inspired you to do your very, very best um, in your study, those days have gone. That was Jeff Barnes, not his real name. That's not really how he sounds. Um, and it does paint quite a dire picture, doesn't it? But perhaps our entire philosophy is wrong in um, trying to uh, persuade everyone to go to university when there are certain students who are just not going to be suited to the university environment. Maybe we should be looking at that. We should also be looking at not lowering expectations, keeping the expectations high. That's the way to make for a smart country. We could also stop students who just go on and do their PhD from going directly into academia. Make sure that every lecturer has experience in the subject that they're teaching. Otherwise, you just get people with a head full of theory and they give that to the student and the student comes out um, not knowing what they thought they would know and everyone is disappointed. So perhaps it's our general way of doing higher education that is the problem. Now, episode 33 in a couple of weeks, going to be the last one for this term, looks at something very different. It looks at uh, resisting gender education, predominantly for parents, yet for teachers as well. There's a great deal of dissatisfaction from parents because parents or many parents are feeling that their right to educate their child on issues of sexuality, of morality is being taken over by teachers and not necessarily their classroom teachers, but by third party providers that come into a school who aren't teachers and who can preach some very extreme perspectives. So there is a movement globally to resist gender education 
um, in the classroom. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that. And it just so happens that the 14th of September is a day called Unteach the Overreach. It's an international day where parents are asked to keep their students at home in protest about gender ideology in schools. Now, New Zealand has been a leader in this, but this is an international day. Uh, unteach the overreach. Now, it's going to be very difficult for many parents to keep their child at home because they have to go to work, of course. So in our next episode, we'll be looking at what you can do to help stop this um, intrusion of gender ideology into Australian schools. Now, my name's Phil Dye. I'm going to leave you with something that's a few years old now. It's a song. Um, and this song came to me when uh, I was uh, at Macquarie University one time and I passed by the queer safe room. And I thought, that's a strange room because I've never, ever seen anybody in it. And it implies that everywhere else on the university is unsafe, where indeed it's not. And I guess some people will be upset about this song, so I'd better give a trigger warning. See you in two weeks. I'm woke, I'm woke, I'm a wokey, wokey bloke. I'm a wacky, wokey, never jokey, safe space kind of bloke. I take offence at anything not equal and correct. I'm a wokey, wokey, righteous, hokey, wokey kind of bloke. I go to university, I am so very smart Identify as a dog to pass my tests I bark I'm outraged every minute and I love diversity But I'll cancel any person who does not agree with me I walk, I walk, I walky walky bloke I'm a wacky wacky never jokey safe space kind of bloke I take offence at anything not equal and correct. I'm a wokey, wokey, righteous, hokey, wokey kind of bloke. I've had a pretty easy life. I've often broken rules. I'm guilty of white privilege. I went to the best schools. I go to all the protests. Some I don't know what they're for. As long as J.K. Rowling and the boomers are no more. I woke, I woke, I'm a wokey, wokey bloke. I'm a wacky, wokey, never jokey, space, space kind of bloke. I take offence at anything not equal and correct. I'm a wokey, wokey, righteous, hokey, wokey kind of bloke. I know that black lives matter, the police, they are a farce. But I don't know many black folk, cause I am so middle class. But tearing down all statues, it gives me such a thrill. And if the police arrest me, mum and dad will pay the bill. I walk, I walk, I'm a wokey-wokey bloke. I'm a wokey-wokey, never jerky, safe space kind of bloke. I can't convince anything not equal and correct. I'm a wokey-wokey, righteous, hokey-wokey kind of bloke. Very, very lucky.
in love with Meghan Markle. I think that she loves me. The truth is not important, cause I feel so intensely. I'm feminist, transpositive, I'd like to be called Sue. And if you don't agree with me, I'll have to cancel you. Hi, woke, hi, woke, I'm a wokey, wokey bloke. I'm a wacky, wokey, never jokey, safe space kind of luck. I take offense at anything not equal and correct. I'm a wokey, wokey, righteous, hokey, wokey kind of bloke. Hi, woke, hi, woke, hi, I'm a wacky, wacky, never jokey, sex-based kind of luck. I take offense at anything not equal and correct. I'm a wokey, wokey, righteous, hokey, wokey kind of bloke. Oh, yes! Oh, yes!